Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, uh, plural, and we will be looking at singular Psalm 3. Uh, Psalm 3 this morning is what we'll be looking at. We've been working through some Psalms, and we'll do that for the next couple weeks, and then uh, we're going to talk about our vision and mission here in a few weeks. Um, if you are looking for a, a church or looking for a place to land um, and, and want to know about more about who we are, uh, in a few weeks we'll be working through our vision and mission as a church, why we exist Um, what we feel like God's called us to do, what we know that God's called us to do because his word says so. And then after that, um, we'll be, uh, starting in the fall, we'll be looking at the book of Ephesians. So we will work through the book of Ephesians for as many weeks as it takes us to get through and and see the the beauty in it. Um, So that's where we're headed. Psalm 3 is what we're looking at this morning. Um, On days like today, I am... uh, where, where it's, it's cool, um, finally, uh, I just, I kind of step back and think, um, th- this is good. You know, th- this is good. I'm not sweating profusely. Uh, I don't feel like I need to shower every 15 minutes. Um, it's just a beautiful thing. And it just reminds me that, that there are a lot of good things in life. We go on and on just talking about all of the good things in life, things that God has given us as gifts, but they're good things for us to, to enjoy. We could spend a good amount of ta- time just talking about those things. So let's just do that this morning. Let's just be simple for a little bit, all right? Um, uh, what are some of those good things in life? Air conditioning, all right? You, you walk into a, a room or a building that's been air conditioned on, on a hot day where, where you feel like you're dying and, and it's beautiful and, and it's even more beautiful when you walk into a business that's paying the bill, right? And, and you just walk in and, and, and that's a good thing. What are some good things in life? A ripe peach. Man. Good things in life. A long winter nap. It's a good thing. The, I'm not talking about the kind of thing where you doze off. I'm talking about the thing where you go down for a nap and you wake up and it's dark and you don't know why. You know what I'm talking about? You wake up and you're like, is it morning? Is it night? I feel kind of sick. I don't know what happened. That, that's, a, that's a nap. <clears throat> I had one 10 years. Yep, Ezra's 10, 10 years ago. So... Um, what are some good things in life? The, the, the smell of pine trees when you're hiking. New socks. That, that's just a good thing, right? New bed sheets. Those are, those are good things. So many good things in life. Freshly baked bread. Here's one. The feeling of not wearing roller skates after wearing roller skates. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. That's such a good, good feeling. The smell of the first time you turn on your furnace in the, in the fall, it's a good thing. The, the, the time that you finally get to open your windows in the spring, there are many, many, many good things in life. We go on and on, right? Just thinking about the, the good things in life. 
Last Sunday, I went home after being here for our gatherings together, and it, it was hot. You remember that? Yeah, you remember that, because you still have part of the wood from the pew stuck in your back, right, from where you got up. It was hot, and so I go home, and, and, and my, my mom was in town, and so she, she and Kirsten, my wife, took a few of the boys out for the afternoon, and I took a, a long nap in a dark, cool room, and, and I awoke feeling physically rested. I, I awoke feeling rested, and that evening... My mom offered to watch our boys for the evening so Kirsten and I could go out. And it had just rained, so it had cooled things off a little bit. And Kirsten and I sat on the patio of a, of a coffee shop, and, and we had some really good conversation, right? The smell of rain on the, the pavement was there. And I don't know if that's good, but it, there's good things that come to mind with that. And conversation with my wife was sweet. And we were in Old Town, like I said, so people watching was at a prime, right? You, you go down there, and that, that's just one of those things where you just walk away feeling better about yourself. Um, it, it was a great evening together. It was a really good time together. There, there's a lot of good things in your life, countless Countless good things, and, and, and I get it, uh, I, I understand, I, I, really, I really do, that you may not be in a season where you recognize the, the good things in life. You, may, you just may not be in a season where that's happening, but they're there. They're there and they're given to us by, by God. Isn't that what we've learned in, in the book of Ecclesiastes as we've worked through it? That, that the things that we have, the things that have been given to us, the situations, the things, the, the, the possessions, all, all of life has been given to us as a gift from God. There's so many good things about life. And at the same time, unless you have been living under a rock you also understand that, that there are times in life that are just downright horrible. That there are times in life when, when things are, are horrible and, and troublesome and you sense the evil around you. In fact, we could probably go on and on and on and on about the things in life that are that way. Maybe even spending more time thinking about the things in life that are, are messed up and troublesome and evil at times, it probably even seems like those things are more overwhelming than the things that bring you joy, the, the good things of life. And so here's my question for us today. What, what do we do in times like that when everything around us seems evil? What, what do we do? How, how do we respond? You, you turn on the radio and you hear the news about all these things that are happening, all, all this evil that's uh, around us, the things that are going on just in the U.S., let, let alone across the globe. You, you hear these things, you, you're bombarded with those things that is difficult to listen to when, when it seems so constant. But even with that, we're able to distance ourselves from it, aren't we? Because it's not about us personally. What do we do when, when, when it gets right down to us and the things in your own life seem so affected by the evil around you. What do we do? How do we respond? You lay your head down at night wondering if things could get worse in your life. You wake up in the morning and the first thought that comes to mind is that difficult life situation that just seems to be ongoing. You, you move throughout your day and you realize that, that that thing is plaguing your thoughts and your attention and, and really your, your life and, and it just hangs on. 
You're hoping to wake up and, and it's all going to be a dream. Have you ever been there? You go to bed at night wishing that that thing was a dream, but, but it's not. And the dread of life just hangs. How do you respond? What do we do in moments like that? We've all faced them. Maybe you're there now. What do we do in moments like that? Psalm 3 is for us. Psalm 3 is a prayer to pray when we, when we settle into the ongoing nature, the reality of the ongoing nature of life's trials, where we've been in a world wrecked with sin long enough to recognize that the things are not always going to be beautifully perfect. Or we've just been there and we, we, just, we, we understand that. How do we respond in, in that? Psalm 3 is for us. As we, as we begin thinking about Psalm 3 and reading through it, there are a few things I think we should recognize right off the bat, right from the, from the very beginning. If you look at Psalm 3, look at, look at your Bible, Psalm 3. There's this heading at the very top, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so I want us to recognize a few things about that, just two things right off the bat, and, and that's this. That, that first, this Psalm is attributed to David, that he wrote this Psalm. And David, if you're not familiar with who David is, he, he is, he's specifically called by God to be a king. He's been called by God to be a king. He's been anointed by God to be a king. He's been specifically gifted by God to be a king. And he's been specifically gifted by God to communicate through song and through poetry. In so many ways, he's got his life together, doesn't he? We would look at this guy and we're thinking, he's, he's a leader. He's a king. He's a handsome guy. He, he's a king and... He communicates through poetry. I mean, ladies, come on, right? I mean, look, look for this guy. He, and he's killed a giant. You're, you're not going to find that guy today, right? He, he's killed a, a giant. This psalm is attributed to David. We, we have no reason to believe that he did not write this psalm. Secondly, we, we need to see from that heading that this psalm was written during the time that David fled from his son Absalom. Absalom was David's third son, you can read about the, the events surrounding uh, the reasons why David had to flee from Absalom in, in first, or 2 Samuel 15 and 16. You can read about that on your own time. It's a crazy story, right? It's, it's, it's straight out of Montel Williams, all right? But here's a brief overview uh, of the story. Maybe you know it. David's king, um, and his son Absalom conspires against him to try to become king over him, right? To try to become king over him. And so Absalom stands at the entrance of the city, and here's the complaints or the disputes of the people, the, the, the arguments of the people, and, and he's there standing, listening to them, hearing them, and, and, and when they would walk up, he would ask them, what city are you from? What city are you from? And you think, well, that's really kind, isn't it? He, he's wondering, making some small talk, what city are you from? But here's what he does. He says to these people who come to bring their complaints, who come to bring their disputes, he says, oh, wouldn't it be nice if someone was king over your city? Wouldn't it be nice if someone was king over your city who, who, who then would listen to your complaints right there? And, and he goes on and he basically says, if I were king, I would make sure that would, that would happen. That you would have someone to hear your complaints right there in your own city. But I'm not, I'm not king unless, 
uh, unless we rally enough people around my cause to, to, to put me up and, and then you just announce me as king. When I blow a trumpet, you announce me as king uh, of Hebron. Yeah, let's choose Hebron because it's one of the main cities in Judah, the same city, the, the same Judah that my dad is king over. And so Absalom is successful in his plan and he rallies 200 people at first to ignorantly follow him, not knowing that he's deceitfully conspiring against King David. And so a messenger comes to King David and he says, he says, Absalom has rallied a large group of people to come against you. Now, David knows that that's bad news. He he knows that that's bad news. So he gathers his people, his own people, and he flees. He flees Jerusalem, he, he sends his people away, and he goes to the, mount, uh, the, the top of the Mount of Olives. So he sends his people away, get, get out here, run, and, and he goes up to the top of the Mount of Olives and he's weeping. And he realizes that his son and so many other people have turned against him. Now I don't know if that's anything that we can ever relate to or not, right? I don't know if you'll ever have a son that rallies 200 people against you. If you do, um, let, let's talk um, and, and we'll see what's going on. But, but I don't know if that's anything we can relate to, but here's what I think we get from that. There's a reason that that's he- that heading's there. Here's what I think we get. It goes to show us that everyone faces evil, even the king, e- even the guy who's got his stuff together. And, and it's possible that while on the Mount of Olives, David writes Psalm 3. So he's run for his life, he's up on the top of a mountain and he's weeping, and it's possible that that's where he writes Psalm 3. And so we get into the heart and the mind of David, one who is facing a world where evil exists, where sin has wrecked relationships, where sin has wrecked personal safety, where sin has wrecked family issues, and where sin has wrecked really his job security. What, what else is there to name there? Sin and the effects of sin have wrecked his, his life. This is where we relate. What would we do? How how do we respond in the midst of that? Let's look at Psalm 3. We'll we'll start out, we'll break this up into chunks so that we can see how David lays out this prayer. He prays to God. And what does he pray? Let's look at it in chunks. Look at Psalm 3, starting in verse 1. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And so here's what David recognizes right off the bat, just from the very beginning. He, he recognizes and understands that there is evil out there. He just confesses, I, I know that there's evil out there. There are many, many, many. Three times over he uses the word many. There are many people against me. There are, there's much evil out there, and then he breaks it down into these three categories for us. I have many foes. I, I have many enemies. And, and then he says, I have many who are rising against me. Not only do I have enemies that, that are out there, but I've got many enemies who are gathering around to come against me physically and organizationally, coming uh, against me. Then he says in verse 2, many say that God is not even for me anymore. That God has turned away from me. That God has abandoned me. He's confessing this to God. So David looks out and he sees and he recognizes that evil is all around him. He has enemies that he doesn't know. He has enemies that he does know. And he knows that those enemies are coming against him. And one of them is his son. And he has enemies who claim, even even claim that God is against you. Now it's got to mess with a man, doesn't it? 
just got to mess with a guy. Where, where his whole world is sort of crumbling around him. Where his own son is against him. And in the back of his mind now, the doubts are, are there. The seed of doubt has been planted. And maybe God is even against you. He's got to mess with a guy. And we felt that at times. Everything seems to be going against me. We think everything seems to be going against me. Evil's all around me. I'm facing tragedy and trials like I've never faced before. Is God against me? Is God against me? Have you felt that? David had people telling him that. What do you do with that? How do you, how do you respond to that? A thought now in the back of your mind, is God against me? I think many of us in, in the midst of that, how do, how do we respond? I think many of us in the midst of that would, would, would run. And here's what I mean. I think we would isolate ourselves. And here's how that plays out. I think we isolate ourselves from, from other Christians, from Christian community, because, because all they talk about is our good God, how good God is. And I, I don't want to hear that because right now I'm not feeling that. And so we run from that, and so we travel more, and we work more, and we occupy our minds more with, with, with things that, that, that are all about us. I think we run. How do you respond when it seems like evil is crowding in and the thought comes to mind that, that, that maybe even God is against you? <clears throat> I think many of us at times expect God to prove that he's different, don't we? And until he does, we, we just won't trust him. How do you respond? God, you, you, you've, you've just shown yourself to, to have all this stuff against me. And until you prove yourself to be different, I'm not going to trust you. How do we re- respond in, in moments like that? Here's how I think we need to respond. I, I think we, we model David in this. And we pray. We, we stop and, and we pray. We approach God and we say, look how he starts. Verse 1, look. He says, Oh Lord. You know about these things, Lord. You you know that the evil exists. You know all things. Even things that even these things are, are not slipping past you as unknown. You know these things, God. Isn't isn't that what David's doing? He's communicating a recognition of evil to a God who knows all things. He, he's saying, God, I know you know all of these things, but 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 I just need to communicate them. I think that that's, that's one of the healthiest things we can do. Speak aloud to God the things he already knows. And in so doing, we're, we're hearing the truth, aren't we? That we live in a fallen world. We, we live in a broken place and it's not moving more towards godliness. It's moving away. But how do we see David responding? He continues to pray. He prays for protection. Look at, look at verse 3. He prays for protection. He says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. You see how David prays? He he completely flips this thing on its head by showing the contrast between God's character and the character of of the evil enemies who are against him. He says, But you, Oh Lord, but, but you, oh Lord, you aren't like them. You are different in every way. Instead of attacking me, you, you are rising up uh, uh, against these enemies. Instead of rising up against me, you're a shield about me. 
Your, your shield that completely surrounds me, but you, O oh Lord, you protect me. He goes on, but you, O oh Lord, are, are my glory. Now, what's he getting at here? Is, is this something about David? Look, look how glorious I am. I, look, this is my glory. Look, look at me. No, no, no. He's saying, you, Lord, are my glory. If I think about anything that's glorious about me, it's you. If I own anything, possess anything, desire anything, it pales in comparison to your glory. You're the glorious one. You're my shield all the way around me, surrounding me completely above and and behind me. You are the glorious one, not me. And then he goes on. But you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. I can't lift my head. I'm being defeated in every way. I can't lift my own head. If I, if I am to be victorious at all, if I am to keep my chin up, if I am to not look down and, and be downcast, if I am to look up at all, you're the one that's got to do that for me. You are the lifter of my head. And he goes on in verse 4, I cried aloud to you. You answered me from your holy hill. Now I want us to stop for just a second and, and think about this all the way through. Where, where is, is David writing this from? Probably. We don't know for sure. Maybe on, on top of, uh, of a mountain, maybe in a wilderness running, maybe hiding behind a tree. We don't know where he is. But we do know that he's not in Jerusalem. And, and where do the people of God have relationship with God? At the temple in Jerusalem. Right? That, that's where they are in relationship with God. The place that you approach God is in Jerusalem. And David has been on the run out of that place. But he knows if he cries out to God wherever he is, that, that God will answer. Now that's new. That, that's new to these people. And so he says, God, God, you will answer me. I cried aloud to you. You answered me from your holy hill. It doesn't matter where I am. I'm crying out and you're answering so here's what David is praying. He's praying, God, I, I know you're my protection. Continue to be my shield. God, I know you're the glorious one. God, I know you're the one who's going to lift my head. God, I know that when I call out, you are there. Now, isn't that a sweet model of how we should pray? Even in the midst of trial and hardship and, and frustration, when you're feeling abandoned by everyone around you, even your closest friends, you, your comfort is that God will not abandon you. That God will not abandon you. He will answer you when you call to him. Have you experienced that? It seems obvious that David has experienced this because of how he responds. Look at verse 5. How does, how does he respond? Verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. How does he respond? He responds in a deep trust of who God is. He says, I was able to sleep. I laid my head down to sleep and I woke up the next morning. Why? Because I counted sheep. Because I, I mean, David, David's a good sheep counter, right? That's how he started. But why? Why? Why was he able to lay down and sleep? Because God sustained him. Because, because God sustained him. You, you've been there, haven't you? 
where, where you deeply feel concerned about something that's going on around you and you don't know what's going to happen with that thing. You don't know if you're going to be taken care of or not. You're, you're not sure how all of this is going to work out. You, you know that tomorrow is coming and the things are going to start right back up again how they were yesterday. You, you just know that, you sense that, and so what happens? You don't sleep. You don't sleep. What's happening when we sleep? Have you thought about that? I don't mean biologically. Oh, my fingernails grow and my hair grow. I don't mean that. I mean, what happens when we sleep? What, what are we experiencing when we sleep? A couple things. I, I think first, I think we're acknowledging that we just, we need sleep. We're acknowledging that we, we need rest. We are not God. And so we're acknowledging our weaknesses. Our bodies grow weary and we need rest. God doesn't. Anytime we go horizontal, we're, we're, we're communicating and experiencing and, and confessing that we need rest. We're weak. God doesn't. When we drift off into sleep, we're acknowledging our need. And I think secondly, we're acknowledging that we trust someone other than ourselves to accomplish everything that is happening while we sleep. And that someone's God. That, that someone is God. Thought about that? You lay down to sleep, you're, you, you're just expecting someone else to pick up the ball. And that someone else, big picture, is God. At our house, we have uh, several things that we do, some, some chores that we work through before we go to bed. You, you probably have, have these two, this sort of routine that you have every night that you work through these things. I, 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 get, um, I, I get everything ready for our coffee in the morning. I do that at night. Right, um, you coffee snobs are gonna be mad at me, but I grind the beans at night. Uh, so, so I do that, right? And, and I put it in. And I pour the water into the machine, yeah, machine uh, that I actually plug in, um, and, and then I set a timer so that it's ready when I wake up. Right? Stand over your pour overs all day long. I'm ready, right? I'm ready to go. And, and so I just do that at night. I, I do that at night, and I'm ready for it. Right? I also go down to the chicken coop and I lock up our chickens so they're not fox food. Right now we have some, some chicks that um, still need heat, and so I plug in their heat lamp every night. I walk through the house, I come back inside, I walk through the house, and I shut off all the lights throughout the entire house that our offspring have left on to light the neighborhood and the new stadium. I, I just do that. I lock the doors in the house, we, we check on our boys, we cover them up with their blankets, we unwrap the headphone cord from their neck and we, we pray over them. We do these things nightly, we, we, we let the dog out one last time and here's the very last thing that we do before we go to bed. We go through the house and we remove the Legos from the walkways so that we don't say something we regret in the middle of the night. And so we do these things, right? We just have these routines that we walk through every night, that we just do them as we, as we go throughout, throughout the evening, getting ready so that we can go to bed at 8 p.m. And so we do that, right? We, we just do that. Now hear this. Not one time have I reminded my heart to keep pumping blood through my body before I lay down. Not, not one time have I reminded my lungs, set a timer for my lungs to keep pumping oxygen through my body so that I would wake up alive. Not one time have I done that. Why? Because God sustains us. And that's simple. 
It's just a simple thing to, to think through. That's what we see from David in his prayer for protection and in this response of trust. God, please protect like you have in the past. Cover me over. Be my glory. Lift my head. I know you will. You're glorious. You're my protector. You're my, you're my victorious one that lifts my head. You are. And, and so I have no other response but to lay down and, and trust. I have no other response but to sleep knowing that I will wake up in the morning. I won't wake up dead. I won't, not because, not because I did something, not because I, I set the right timers on my own heart and my lungs and, and did all that, not because I did something, but because you sustained me. You did that. You weren't sleeping, God. That's God. He, he doesn't sleep. He's always on. Psalm 121 is this beautiful reminder that keeps, a, keeps us thinking and speaks to that, that deep trust that we have. The psalm says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will will neither slumber nor sleep. We can pray to God for protection and we can respond in trusting him because he's the one who spoke into existence heaven and earth. And he never sleeps. He, he never dozes off. He, he's never not glorious. We can trust God because he's trustworthy. Put, put this into your nightly routine. Put, put this into practice. Put this into your nightly routine. Brush your teeth. Wash your face. Let the dog out. And then verbally remind yourself. Verbally remind your roommates. Verbally remind your spouse. Verbally remind your kids. I'm going to bed. But God's not. Put that into your routine. Good night, kids. I'm going to bed, but God's not. David moves on to yet another prayer in verse 7. Look there, look at verse 7. He keeps praying. He says, Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. It's part of, part of the prayer is a prayer for deliverance. It seems like more of a pleading, doesn't it? Two requests. He says, arise, Lord. Get, get up. Lord, save me. Do you see what he's doing? Oh, I want us to see this. Again, he's, he's setting his enemies up in contrast with God. My enemies are rising up against me. God, rise up for me. My, my enemies are coming against me to destroy me. God, deliver me from destruction. Save me. Remember verse 2, he he says his enemies are are saying that God won't save me, won't deliver me. And David is here pleading, God save me, deliver me. And and David then personalizes this and and he says, save me, oh my God. Save me, oh my God. He he makes it personal. And, And I think we've got to remember that in our prayers. We're not praying off to this big God in the sky who doesn't have a relationship with us. Yes, he's a big God, but he's got a relationship with us. And so we speak in that way. God's a personal God. He's our father. He can, we can address him personally. My God, deliver me. And David has confidence that God will protect him and can and will and, and, and he can lift him and he can sustain him and he can deliver him. And, and we know that by what he says next in, our, our, in his prayer for deliverance. He says, for I know you're victorious over my enemies. You, you hum- humiliate them like a slap on the cheek. You take away their power. 
Just like an animal whose teeth are broken out, you take away their, their power. My enemies are nothing compared to you, God. My enemies are humiliated and powerless. I've seen that to be the case, and I pray that you would continue to answer that prayer. Now, do we realize when we pray that we're praying to our Father, a God who desires to be known in a personal way. We're, we're praying to God who delivers us. We're praying to a God who protects us from evil. We're praying to a God who listens. Do we realize that when we lift our voices in prayer? Do we realize that? That, that God is, is all-powerful. He's a God, he's a father who wants to be in relationship with us. Do we realize that when we lift our voices in prayer? If not, let me ask this question. Why why then are our prayers so minimal if we know that to be true? Why don't we pray more? Why don't you start your morning by thanking God for sustaining you your eyes open to the weird alarm on your phone and the first thought that comes to your mind is, I heard that same alarm yesterday. This may be true. I'm alive. God, you sustained me. We start the morning recognizing God. Why don't we lay our heads down on our pillow every night asking God to protect us? I don't mean to put doubt in there. Like not protect me, God, I don't know what's going to happen in my house tonight. Not that sort of thing where you're, you're fearful about someone coming to, to cut your hair when you're sleeping, which Kirsten has, when my beard is really long, threatened to shave it while I'm sleeping. So maybe that, that prayer is there, but why don't, we just, why don't we lay our heads down at night, praying regularly, every night, God, protect me. There's evil forces out there that want to penetrate my brain and my thoughts, even as I sleep, want to pull me away from you. God, protect me. I think we need to be challenged. Why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? And I I think it's this. We don't pray because we think more of ourselves than we ought, and we think less of God than we ought. Is that true? We think more of ourselves than we ought to think, and we think less of God than we ought to think, and so therefore we don't pray. We don't feel a need. How does David respond at the end of this psalm? After praying for protection and praying for deliverance, how does he respond? Look at verse 8. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Do you understand what's going on here? I want us to see the flow of how he's written this, this beautiful poetry out. How does the psalm start? In verse, verse 2, he says, Many are rising against me. Many are saying about me, There is no deliverance for you. God is not going to be your help. And then David ends the psalm here, You could not be more wrong. Salvation comes from God because it belongs to God. It's his, not yours. David responds in trust. God, you are salvation. You are deliverance. It belongs to you. And and then David responds in hope. May your blessing be on your people. He's praying in hope. May your blessing be on your people. David prays to a trustworthy God. And he responds then in trust. David ends. May your blessing be on your people. Here's where I want to end. I want to end with that, that going through our heads. 
David's praying this blessing over his people. Here's the thing. David wasn't able to experience it then. But the promised king who would come from the line of David would fulfill that promise and and answer that prayer of blessing. Through Jesus, God's children are blessed. Because of Jesus, we have no reason to fear, ultimately fear, the evil around us. But we experience it, don't we? And it does bring fear. And it does bring worry. And it does bring doubt. Maybe some of you are experiencing those kinds of things now. Fear. Worry. Doubt. Sadness. Grief. Frustration. Even this morning, you're just weighed heavy by that. We see in Psalm 3 that David prays and responds in trust of who God is. And David hadn't seen the ultimate promise fulfilled. God would ultimately deliver or bring salvation to his people. He would. He has a plan to do that. He had a plan and he has a plan and he's carried out his plan. He had a promise to fulfill in sending his son as the eternal reigning king and bringing deliverance, deliverance from sin, salvation from sin and salvation to him. And here's the beautiful thing in, in, in all of this. The king, Jesus, the king, was also the high priest, the great high priest. The one through whom salvation would be offered. David was not that. David was not a high priest, but Jesus is. And, and he, he's one who, who knows what we've experienced. We have a king and a high priest who knows what we've experienced. He's a high priest who's been abandoned by his close friends. Kirsten was reading through the gospel accounts this morning. And she reminded me that, that Jesus even knew that was coming. He knew that his friends would abandon him. Just like David was abandoned by Absalom, our king and our high priest was was abandoned. He's one who has been tempted in this sinful, evil world, but he never sinned. Uh, Listen to this beautiful truth from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then the author goes on in verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what we need to hear. We can approach God in prayer, trusting that because of Jesus, we will ultimately be delivered and we need not fear. Now I say ultimately, because we're going to face fears, we're going to face trials, we're going to face frustrations, we're going to face that. But ultimately, we need not fear because we will be delivered. For those who have put their hope and their trust in Jesus, He will ultimately protect, He will ultimately defend, He will ultimately save, He will, He He will. We're reminded of that promise in Romans chapter 8. And I want to end with this. Romans chapter 8 where Paul talks about the sufferings of this present time. And how we wait eagerly 
how we wait eagerly for the time where we will be freed from sin and the suffering that that sin brings. How, how we wait eagerly for that. You know what he says right after that? He says, he says, there are times when we don't even know how to pray. We're waiting eagerly for the time when sin's gone and we, we just don't even know how to pray. We don't understand what's going on. We, we, we don't understand, but we simply don't know how to pray. And then listen to what Paul says in, in Romans 8, right on the heels of that. He says, what then? Just listen to this. Just listen and let this soak in. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword add into that what you're facing? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Fear, anxiety, doubt, sadness, grief. Goes on. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. In, with, through, and because of Jesus, God's children have nothing to fear because ultimately we will not be separated from God because of the love of Jesus. That, that should bring us hope. That should bring us comfort. That should bring us trust. But does it? I get it. I get it, friends. There are times when we read this stuff and we think, yeah, but, but how? How am I supposed to believe that? How do I believe that? You don't, you don't know what I'm going through, Vince. You're right, I don't. But we have a God who loves us enough to send his son to stand in our place. We have nothing to fear because ultimately, ultimately, we will be protected. Do we believe that? Let me pray that we would. Can I pray? Let's pray. Father, it is true that I do not know what everyone is facing. I don't understand what what people are facing, the fears and doubts and anguish and grief and sadness and anxiety and the things that seem overwhelming and, and really uncontrollable. I don't understand those things, but you do. God, you do. In fact, your son knows those things well too. He walked this earth and he faced temptation and he faced abandonment. And ultimately, he faced you for a time, turning your face. For a time. 
And so we know that we have a, a God. God, you are that God, our Father, who knows, who knows our, knows our weaknesses, knows our, our trials. And so this morning, my prayer for us, for those in the room who may be struggling beyond belief right now, that you would, in a powerful way, through your Spirit, put in us a belief that you are the God of the universe who has a desire to be in relationship with us and has ultimately saved us and protected us because of your Son. That seems like such a simple prayer, but God, you hear us when we pray. It doesn't matter where we are. We're sitting here or somewhere else. You hear us when we call out to you. And so this morning, we do just that. We cry out to you and ask, God, help. Help us to see more of you and less of ourselves. And God, would that drive us then into trusting you more, knowing that you have a plan. And we may not know it, but ultimately, you win. We pray these things because we can in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.